0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Loveland, Colorado, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Loveland. Plus, syndicated more generalized recordings of live and pre recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Loveland. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning, and welcome, everyone. We've got a, a pretty exciting class today. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm James Orr. The <laughs> Way to start off. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we got a really exciting class today. So in a lot of the other comparison classes, we've been doing these like once a week um, for the live versions. For the podcast, it's probably about once a month. Um, but for the live versions, we're doing these uh, once a week And in previous comparison classes, a lot of times we take one strategy and we compare it against a completely different strategy such that they sometimes one will do significantly better than another, and sometimes the other one will do significantly better than another. Today is a little bit different because today we're comparing doing two identical strategies, except in one case, we are saying, if this means it will be better, then do this. And here's what I mean by that. So what we're going to cover today is doing the nomad strategy, buying a property as an owner-occupant, 5% down, moving into the property, living there for at least a year. It's at least a year because the lender requires you stay in a property for at least a year when you get an owner-occupant loan with some very unusual exceptions, like you move out of the area or something like that. But if you're buying a property, you buy it as an owner-occupant, you move in there for at least a year, or until you save up for the next property, Then you buy another property with 5% down, move into that property. You keep the last property and you convert that property to a rental property. Um, And then you repeat this process until you have up to nine rentals, 10 properties total. One that you're living in, nine rental properties. However, here's the twist for today. Today, we're saying you're both doing the nomad strategy, kind of like person A and person B. You're both doing the nomad strategy. However, if person B gets to the point where they've got enough money saved up in their bank account that they could take that money and pay off their owner-occupant property, the one that they're living in, and have enough money left over for their reserves and stuff like that, but they could pay off their owner-occupant property. And by doing so, that means that they are financially independent That they have lowered their threshold to be financially independent by doing that. They're not already financially independent, but they lower their threshold to do it. Then go ahead and pay off the property, stop buying more properties, and you've won the game. You become financially independent and you can do that. And so either it's going to be you didn't pay off the property and it's exactly the same as doing the nomad strategy, or in some cases, it's better. And the question that becomes how much better is it? And is this even a reasonable thing? to do to kind of get the financial independence early. That's what we're gonna look at today. So is it better to pay off your owner-occupant mortgage when nomading? And we modeled this in 305 US cities, and you'll be able to see which cities this has been more effective in, where paying off your mortgage was better and which cities it didn't matter. So as I mentioned, in both scenarios, we're doing the nomad strategy. You're buying an owner-occupant property 5% down. You're living there for at least a year. You're buying the replacement property and moving in while converting the previous property to a rental. And you're going to repeat this 10 times. That's the that's the model for both scenarios. With the traditional nomad, there's no paying off of the owner-occupant property early. Now, if it gets paid off just organically because you live there for 30 years, that's fine. But we're not saying you're taking extra money you have sitting aside invested in the stock market, taking that money out of the stock market and paying off the property. The other model is you do the nomad strategy, but if you, at any point, you have both enough money and by paying off the property, you'd qualify as financial independent, then go ahead and do it and then stop buying additional properties at that point if you pay off the loan and you are fine. Because I had some stuff where I was running this using the real estate financial planner software where you were paying off the mortgage and then the next month you'd be like, hey, well, now that I'm financially independent, why don't I go buy another property? And then you were no longer financially independent because you got a mortgage payment uh, on your own property. So we had to turn off buying additional properties when you do that. If you want to see the actual comparison, there's a URL on the screen. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, but if you go there, you could actually see the kind of charts I'm about to show you. And you can kind of dig into it, mouse over them, see which cities are which and do that. Okay. So I'll quickly recap what makes you financially independent. It is when your income from your investments exceeds your living expenses, and the income from your investments includes any net positive cash flow after all expenses from your rental property. So all the income from the rental, you know, rented and any other income you're getting minus all the expenses, including vacancy, principal, taxes, uh, principal, interest, taxes, PMI, insurance, maintenance, and management. So... All income minus all expenses, any net positive cash flow after that, that counts as, as toward you being financially dependent. Plus any investments you have in the stock market or bonds or whatever else, you have uh, times a safe withdrawal rate. That also counts. Plus if you have social security, which we didn't model in this case, that would count. Annuities would also count if you bought any of those. So you don't have net, any of that in this modeling and any pensions you have. So all those count toward being financially independent. And the key point here is, why this matters as to whether or not you pay off your primary residence your owner occupant property that you're living in or not is imagine for a minute that you are you are thinking to yourself, okay, I need ten thousand dollars in order to be considered financially independent and to pay all my bills all my bills includes you know my medical insurance, uh, my car payments if you've got one of those, all the maintenance on your car, all the gas in your car, all the food, you know all that stuff including the mortgage payment on your property, and taxes, and insurance, and maintenance, and all that other stuff, so all of that you can afford to pay on $10,000 a month, let's say as an example, if you had paid off your mortgage and you no longer had a, let's just call it $2,000 principal and interest part of your payment, not the taxes, insurance, stuff like that, because you got that no matter what, but just the mortgage part of your payment, then you really don't need $10,000 a month to be financially independent, you really only need $8,000 a month at that time. And that's what we're saying. We're saying, look, if you can go pay off your primary residence, then you no longer need $10,000 a month to be financially independent. Now you only need $8,000 a month. And if that would, by paying off your mortgage, you get down where your other passive income we just talked about exceeds that $8,000 a month, then go ahead and do it. That's what we're saying here. Okay, so assumptions. Each city modeling uses the median home prices and the estimated rents on those properties we did not apply any of our like optimization strategies to improve cash flow. One of the things we're really big on and we've covered a lot in previous classes and stuff like that is the 88 different strategies to improve cash flow on rental properties. We did not optimize here. We're really just buying like off the shelf properties that we didn't do a really great job of optimizing for. Now, the job income does vary based on what city you are. Because if you made the same amount of money you did in Mobile, Alabama, as you did in Los Angeles, and the prices of properties are very differently there, then it means that, you know, in Mobile, you'd be crushing it. And in Los Angeles, you would not be. Um, And so we really wanted to vary the incomes you earned in areas to match the price of houses so that you could do, you know, a strategy there. So really, um, if you're in more expensive markets, you make more money. But that also means that, you need to exceed that amount of money that you're making in order to be considered financially independent. So to those who we give extra stuff to, we also require more of them to be considered financially independent, okay? Uh, We do start everybody with just enough money to make a 5% down payment on an owner-occupant property with some closing costs in their marketplace. So if the median price of homes in your marketplace is one price, then we make sure you have enough for 5% down and some closing costs so that you can buy a property there. So that means that everyone's not starting with the exact same amount of money, okay? Um, You're buying the owner-occupant properties with 5% down. And with Nomad, you keep moving out of the property and buying your next owner-occupant property. Now, when we do this interest rates, the interest rates when buying the owner-occupant properties, which is what we're doing here, is going to be 6.5% with 5% down. In addition to that, there is going to be private mortgage insurance because you're putting less than 20% down. And we do take that into account. Now, if they were buying rentals, which they're not, we would have assumed 7% for non-owner-occupant properties with 20% down with no PMI. But we're not doing that in this particular case. We're also assuming that they're earning 7% per year in the stock market. And we modeled it out to 100 years just so that you could see the full length of all that stuff that you've got going on there. You can see all my assumptions in detail if you want to. You can go to realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash model and dig into your city and see the exact assumptions for your city in like excruciating detail. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. Okay, so without any further delay, how big of a difference does paying off that mortgage make? Well, in 305 US cities, in 187 out of the 305, about 60% of the time, you would be financially independent faster if you paid off your owner-occupant property doing the nomad strategy. 60% of the time, you'd be better off paying off that property. In 118 cities, it didn't make any difference at all. In other words, you never got an opportunity to pay off the property because it wouldn't have meant you did it any faster. It may still be fast because you're doing the nomad strategy, but it wasn't any faster for you to pay off the property. You would have been better off just kind of letting it go. You would have been financially independent in those cases, okay? So here's the chart showing you like when this happens in aggregate. And you can see for the ones where you pay off your owner-occupant property, it skews earlier. There's a whole bunch. Like these lines, these should be identical if paying off your property didn't make any difference because they're doing the exact same strategy. But we could see with the gray area here that because paying off the property does make a difference, we've moved a whole bunch of things that were out here as the occurring longer, like it was taking longer to achieve financial independence. And we skewed them forward such that a whole bunch happened a lot earlier, a lot faster. Bunch of cities, number of cities is vertical. Number of cities increased earlier on so that you were ended up being financially independent doing that. And you might ask me, well, well, you know, how much faster is this like one month? Is this like two months? No. In some cases, it's like 10 years. In some cases, some really rare cases, like one or two things. It's like almost 20 years faster for you to have done this, which is crazy to think about. But that's the exception. I, I would say most of these are you know 10 years or less that we're seeing here uh, as being faster. And does it skew where like these these things make a difference with only the most expensive properties? No, although I think some expensive properties actually made a difference. But no, it's happening right in this sort of meat of the market. You know, this is $250,000 properties. You know, this is $750,000 properties. So all of them are like the, the majority of them are between those two prices. So it shows you that this can make a significant difference a lot faster, not just like one month or two months, which is all the ones down here. The gray ones are the ones where it didn't make a difference at all, by the way. But these show you the difference between those. And you can see that some of them are pretty significant. Now, what about net worth? You know, if you're if you're like paying off your owner-occupant property, you're no longer leveraged just on that property, not the investment properties, but you're no longer leveraged on that. So is that gonna impact things that much? And because once you do this, you stop buying properties. So in some cases you end up, not buying quite as many properties as you would have had, does this impact your net worth? And you're also taking you know, money that you were earning in the stock market at 7% and you're using that money to pay off a, in this case, 6.5% mortgage. So you would think it might make a difference in terms of net worth. And it does actually. So in 66 cities, about 20% of the cases, it was higher, you'd end up with a higher net worth if you didn't pay off your property if you didn't pay off the owner-occupant property earlier, in 20% of the cases, you would end up with a higher net worth. In seven cities, oddly enough, you end up with higher net worth if you pay off your property, which is unusual. I mean, I think that's kind of a strange situation. And it's a relatively small number, so I'm not overly concerned about it. However, in 232 cities, at the 40-year point, your net worth is the same, regardless of which strategy you did. And it's possible that a lot of these where you paid off your property was after the 40-year point, right? Because we're measuring net worth at year 40. So it's possible the reason why there's no difference is we didn't make a distinction between paying off the property or not paying off the property until after 40 years. Interesting stuff. All right, so here's the difference in net worth. And sometimes they're pretty significant. So you can see that some of these are pretty large difference. You know, we're talking like a million dollars or more probably, what is that, You know, maybe half a dozen, maybe a little bit more than that, 10 or so. Um, But most of them are less than a million-dollar difference in net worth. In year 40, which a million-dollar difference in year 40 is like $330,000 difference in today's dollars. Because remember, inflation is happening, and a million dollars today is not like what a million dollars was 40 years ago, and a million dollars in 40 years from now is not like a million dollars today. And so- if you think about what a million dollars 40 years from now will be, it's like $330,000 today at a 3% inflation rate. That's the conversion. It's about one third. All right. All right. So let's kind of summarize this. So I separated this page into the average, which is shown here, and the median, which is the next slide. And so averages, you take up all the values for net worth, you add them all up, and you divide by the 305 cities that were, and it shows you what the average net worth was for doing that at year 40. When we do median, we look at all of them stacked in order from smallest to largest. We look at the middlemost number. So from an average perspective, your average net worth was about $8.15 million if you did the baseline nomad and you didn't pay off your properties early. And if you did pay off your properties early, it's about 8.11. So it's a difference of about $50,000, which is about 0.6% Better for you to have done the regular nomad model in terms of net worth. So I would say that's not that significant. It's not that significant of a penalty. But really, what's super interesting is let's look at how long it took you to be financially independent. If you did the regular baseline nomad model, the kind of like standard model, on average, it took you 531 months to be financially independent. However, when you pay off the owner occupant property, if that means you would be financially independent early, it, you end up being financially independent on average at month 462. The difference is about 69 months or almost six years. Six years would be 72 months. So it's like high, um, high five, months. five months, five years and nine months faster on average for you to pay off your property early. So if you're in a market, you may want to think to yourself, hey, look, maybe I should be saving up some money on the side. And if I have enough money saved up on the side, maybe I should take that money and look at if paying off my property would allow me to be financially independent. That's something for you to consider because on average, it's like almost six years faster. On median, it's five years and two months faster. Still very significant. And the difference in net worth is only 1%. Plus by paying off your owner-occupant property, It makes you a little bit more rent resilient, a little bit more price resilient. Rent resiliency is how far rents can drop before you have negative cash flow. Uh, Price resiliency is how far prices can drop before you have negative equity. Debt to income ratio, because you're paying off a mortgage, so that gets a little bit better. Your debt to net worth, how much debt you have compared to what your overall net worth is, that's a little bit better if you pay off your mortgages. And your debt to your account balance, your liquidity measurement, how much debt you have to how much cash you have sitting in the bank where you can handle You know, any type of monetary stress that requires liquidity, like not equity in your property. So in all those measures, it's actually a little bit less risky. These are measures of risk. It's a little less risky for you to pay off your owner-occupant property. And you end up having slightly less in reserves because you're taking some of your reserve money and you're using that to pay off a property, which then goes into equity, and it's not as easily accessible. So that's the only area where it's higher risk for you to do that. Okay. And that's true both in the average and the median. It is less risky for you to pay off your owner occupant property when you do that. Okay. So we've been primarily talking about doing this with the median property and what rent would be on that median property. Now, you could apply any of the 88 strategies that we have to improve cash flow on these um, in order to make your numbers better. Okay. We're basically using those numbers because. I don't want to go and say and pick like the absolute best deal that you could find in a marketplace where not everybody could go and find those deals. Now, you should be able to, and you could do this, do better than what I'm suggesting. You should be able to go into your marketplace and do better than what I'm suggesting here because I'm not really picking great properties. Now, if you're an expert in your local market, which I am not, I'm not an expert in 305 real estate markets. I don't understand the nuances of all these different markets. I barely understand the nuances of the market I live in. But if you're an expert and you go look at the detailed analysis I've done for this or any of the other things in your marketplace, you're like, James, your numbers are off. Like, you know, properties are more like this in this marketplace than with this rent. Let me know. I will go ahead and update the database, rerun all the scenarios, and then your your marketplace will be correct. So just reach out to me via email, go look at your stuff there and say, you know, I think it's better if you do this. Now, what I don't want you to do is go in there and say, you know, this one deal I found in the last 10 years, it was these numbers and it was amazing. I'm not trying to cherry pick the like best case deals where only, you know, a small, very, very small number of real estate investors could expect to achieve that. What I want is I want the numbers where any real estate agent can go into the market and with the minimal amount of work, they could find these deals, right? Like, you know, like... At almost any given time, you can go into the MLS and find deals like this. That's what I want to use so that any investor in that market could expect to achieve those results. So reach out to me if you can do that. All right. So in conclusion, in our current market conditions, current prices, current interest rates, current rents in 305 US markets using less than ideal median price and rent properties and paying off your owner-occupant mortgage only if it means achieving financial independence, that means that in about 60% of the cases, you would be better, it would be faster for you to be financially independent if you paid off that mortgage. However, you end up with a higher net worth in about 20% of the cities by not paying off your property faster, maybe continuing to buy properties and not stopping work. The market does matter though. You'll not be able to improve your time to financial independence in every market doing this. You have to pick the one. You have to actually do the math and determine that. It is best if you look closer at your specific market and apply as many of the 88 cash flow improving strategies as practically possible to improve on your implementation of this, and then evaluate every six months, every three months, every year, and look at your situation and say, should I pay off my owner-occupant property now? Should I take any money I have and set aside? And in some cases, we even covered this today, but in some cases, you could go and sell a property, sell a rental property, that maybe isn't cash flowing great, but has a lot of equity in it, use those proceeds to pay off your owner-occupant or other investment properties. We'll do all this analysis as we do additional comparisons in the future. But you sometimes take a rental property that you have, sell that off, use the proceeds to either pay off your owner-occupant or use the proceeds in order to sell off any investment properties. And sometimes that will allow you to be financially independent. It's like all this modeling that we do so that we can test these situations for you and see what happens. That's all I got for you. I assume there's no questions. If there are, let me know. But uh, thanks everybody for coming on and I will see you all on the next video. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates. Cash flow on rental properties in Loveland is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in Loveland that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast.